The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is sponsored by Steel Hoof Deluxe, the new hoof strengthening supplement from Mitchell's. If it's not Mitchell's, get back in the truck. Steel Hoof Deluxe makes your herd's cloven feet so strong that in the event of a nuclear attack, all that would remain once the mushroom cloud had dissipated would be cockroaches and hooves. For a free sachet, use the code DELUXE next time our rep comes a hawking. And welcome to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, the number one podcast for those involved or just interested in the production of beef animals and dairy herds. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is the podcast companion to the Beef and Dairy Network website and a printed magazine brought to you by Steel Hoof Deluxe. We've got a treat for you today because this month's episode was recorded at the London Agriculture Festival. The edition of the podcast is a very special one as it's being recorded live in front of a sold out audience. <laughs> At the London Agriculture Festival. London, 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 London. Uh, we've had a great time at the festival so far. Highlights have included a candlelit reading of farmer Derek Garton's moving memoir about being the first British citizen to successfully escape conviction after shooting an intruder, a panel discussion about classic soils of Europe, and a great seminar about how to coax a pig off a roof. <laughs> The London Agricultural Festival is, of course, part of the European Farming Network, which is sponsored by Mitchell's Europe. If it's not Mitchell's Europe, get back on your charming bicycle. <laughs> In today's podcast, we speak to a former pop star who is curating the festival, as well as the leader of an influential political lobbying group, Butchers for Brexit. But first, we received a number of letters this month in response to the big question on our website. What is your most memorable beef experience? Julian Bristol writes... I don't have any actual memories of this, but my parents have told me the story again and again, the story of my first beef. As soon as I was born, I was taken by the midwife who checked my vital signs, and it was clear that I was healthy and raring for the beef. (laughs) Before long, the entire staff of the maternity unit was stuffing beef medallions into my tiny mouth. As a result, by my first birthday, I was the size of a (laughs) nine-year-old and very, very ill. Thanks, Julie. Our next letter comes from Francis in Kent. He writes... My parents didn't give me beef when I was young. They were both New Zealanders and had other ideas as a result. Luckily, as I was ingesting high levels of mint from a very young age, I built up a tolerance, which meant I was able to weather the piles of lamb I was having to eat on a daily basis. It was only when I left home to go to university at 18 that my eyes were opened to the world of meat. At Freshers' Week, I could be found in the canteen gulping down whole roast chickens, pork tenderloins, and most unforgettably, I once ate a whole side of beef during a foam party. (laughs) Even though my taste buds had been ruined by years and years of caustic mint sauce, it felt good. When I graduated, I received a BSc Ons degree in candle making and candle studies with a year abroad in Vienna. But the real lessons I learned were about beef. The other thing I learned was never to eat beef, or indeed anything, at a foam party. (laughs) Don't open your mouth at all. Seriously, no one knows what's in that foam. That fucking foam. Thanks, Francis. And our final letter is from Quentin in Surrey. Quentin writes... 
Looking for adventure, I had decided to spend the summer in Germany working on a bean farm. The work was hard and my bean-heavy diet left me down, depressed, fragile and incredibly flatulent. <laughs> After meals, our old farts hung in the air like Christmas decorations in the spring that someone had been unable to take down because they died from farting too much. <laughs> My fellow workers were Pavel, a Czech whose job it was to pick the fava beans, black beans and butter beans, Juan, a Spaniard whose job it was to pick the mung beans, the pinto beans and the kidney beans, and Alan, a twat from Bristol. <laughs> After two weeks, I was considering going home. Every night we would dolefully eat our portion of beans as we watched the farmer tucking into rich beef-based dishes, stroganoffs, bolognaises, beef puddings, candied beef lollies. However, one evening, my fortunes turned around when the bean farmer's wife joined us for dinner. As she slumped down on the bench beside me, covered in bean debris, she was the picture of sexual attraction. Long brown hair, a barrel chest, and huge rough farmer's hands. It was love. Later that week, we received what was presented to us as bad news. The bean farmer had got his leg caught in the bean thresher and was going to be in hospital for months. As I walked back from the bean field, the farmer's wife appeared in the doorway to farmhouse, tears welling in her eyes. She gestured for me to enter. As soon as I crossed the threshold, it began the greatest love affair I've ever embarked upon. She couldn't speak any English, and I couldn't speak any German, but we could communicate perfectly as we shared a language, the language of beef. Also, we both spoke some French. <laughs> Over the following weeks, she taught me everything I know about God's favorite meat eating mints off each other's bodies, pouring hot gravy onto our nipples, slapping each other playfully with handfuls of carpaccio. We ate boiled sirloins late into the night, and also we boned. My days of back-breaking work on the bean farm flew by as I looked forward to our evening sessions of adventurous German lovemaking and our stilted conversations. I told her about life back in Surrey, and she told me all about life in World War I. Sorry, I forgot to mention she was 109 years old. <laughs> However, like all good things, it had to come to an end. At the end of the summer, I had to move back to England, and she went to prison for tax fraud. <laughs> Thanks, Quentin. <laughs> now it's time for our first guest. He is best known as the bassist from Britpop band Hype. However, since the band split in 2001, he's been running his own farm in the Cotswolds, and this year was asked to curate the London Agriculture Festival. London, 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 London. The festival has always been organised by a different guest curator every year, but it is only in recent years that the festival has begun to ask people from the world of popular culture to curate in a bid to make the festival more relevant to the youth. Please welcome Jim Crayfish. Hi. Hey. Hey. Great to see you. Hi. So, uh, Jim Crayfish, thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming to the festival. It's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, now, you're probably best known as, as the bass player from Hype. Uh -huh. The other members of Hype are doing well, aren't they? Um, yeah. Your singer, Stephen, has been doing lots of 
high-profile collaborations in the genre of world music. Yeah. Uh, collaborating with artists from northern France and Jersey. That's right. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, we all had our passions, right? You know, I mean, um, Jefferson, you know, he, he had his uh, music, obviously. Uh, the Arthur uh, is, is now a Lib Dem NEP. And, um, uh, you know, Bobby uh, still missing. And... Um, <laughs> So we had different stuff that we were into, and for me, I always, I always had a vibe for kind of, you know, for nature and for food, and just, you know, I t- you know took the time out to create my own little uh, perfect little uh, farm, boutique farm, super organic, super free range, and you know, one thing led to another. It's been a great success. No doubt, many of the people here have been enjoying the festival you've, been, you've put on so yeah. far. Um, yeah. Is there anything you're particularly excited about? Well, we've had, I mean, we've had some great. Um, you know, just looking at the program now, we've had all sorts of wonderful things. I mean, you mentioned. A couple of the events that we've had so far the uh, the pig coaxing obviously um did anyone see the pig coaxing um off a roof yeah exactly if you missed it it's just i mean it's basically just a, a helium balloon in the shape of a sow um <laughs> and um sort of rig that up uh, to a bit of twine um i if you can uh, sort of spray the the rear of it with a little bit of sort of porcine uh, vaginal musk and um <laughs> It's all, um, it's all sex appeal, um, really, and uh, down, down the pig comes. Um, don't expect the pig to survive, obviously, on impact, but um, it, is, it is off the roof. Um, you know, and I'm very happy to sort of, you know, I've taken some of the classics, you know, Derek Garton earlier on, you know, some of the classics. There's all the usual favourites that everyone always has every year in, you know, you know competitions, you know, you know, vegetables that look like dicks, dicks that look like vegetables and all that kind of... <laughs> stuff um in the kitty tent we've had a kind of um a sort of udder jazzle uh, competition that's been um enormously successful and there's been other things um coming up there's something i'm really excited about uh, tomorrow afternoon if you're free um there's we're going to be sort of reenacting the 1980 iranian embassy siege uh, using hoofed animals um <laughs> And uh, we've had a few problems with some of the abseiling uh, elements of that. And um, uh, yesterday afternoon, of course, we went down to the uh, embankment and had our, our, our bird bird competition, um, inspired by the very famous Birdman competitions off Brighton Pier, uh, where we just take sort of series of flightless animals and, um, a- and push them off the end of a pier. Um, who won that one, by the way? The, I, didn't, I didn't get down to the bird bird. Who... Who won that? Well, there was a there was a sort of kind of adolescent emu that went the furthest, um, uh, but it was pushed by a two man team, so it was kind of it's contentious at the moment. So yeah, but very exciting stuff, and uh, yeah, all kinds of stuff. You know, the stuff that we've rejected as well. We can't we can't do everything, obviously. Um, you know, the campaign for the respelling of wheat. You know, those guys. Um, you know, I feel like they've they've had their time and. I don't want to kind of, you know, rub people up the wrong way. Uh, there's, I mean, there's um, uh, Professor Sandelbanks who wants to do the his sort of history of the, 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 the nose bag. And um, everyone knows about that already, you know. <laughs> it was invented, it was named, it didn't work. Um, and people just put it over the mouth instead, and it was fine. Um, that's it. <laughs> so. so you're... you're um... You're painting a very rosy picture of, of, yeah. how, of how the weekend has gone. Yeah. Um, and just, just to add a bit of counterpoint to that, really, uh, questions have been asked about the sponsors that you've brought in personally. Obviously, the main sponsor, of course, is Mitchell's Europe. Um, if it's not Mitchell's, get back into your antique Citroen. Um, 
Which seems fine, but then you look a bit further down the list here, it starts getting a bit more interesting. You've got um, BAE Systems, mm. um, the Saudi Royal Family, uh-huh. uh, the IRA, <laughs> North Korea, mm. Hezbollah and ISIS, yeah. uh, Momentum. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the list goes on. Yeah. I mean, I think people have complained about that, but, I mean, people should be impressed. You know, it's, it's, it's bloody difficult getting all those people in a room at the same time, right? And um, to, you know... So in like, a way, you're just getting them around the table. You're getting around the table to, you know, and, you, know, and, and what, you know, to agree on a logo, really. And um, some people felt that other things should have been on the agenda at the time, but that's not our remit, really. Our remit is to, you know, raise awareness and sponsor an agricultural uh, festival. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah. so you think it's it kind of had um, a positive... Effect on kind of prospects of world peace? Is that what you're getting at? I, I don't know. I think, I think you know, it's, it's all about attitude, isn't it? Perceptions and preconceptions. Um, you know, people, you know, didn't realise that, you know, ISIS have got a sort of strong view on hen husbandry, uh, for example. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they've got strong views, you know, across the board. Uh, so why, why wouldn't they, you know? Um, and... Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, if anyone's, you know, razzled up by that, then, you know, I think that's great. I think it's a step in the right direction. Just to go back to the money, I've got a copy of the mm. budget here. Yeah. Um, and this was leaked to me by one of the festival staff earlier. Is it true that you spent 80% of the budget on a personal appearance by Michael Bublé? Yeah, right. <laughs> OK, but this is people don't understand about PR and marketing. You've got to have some sell, OK? I mean, obviously, a lot of people are coming for me and see me. I, and... I mean, I'll stop you there, <clears> because... When that actually happened, the Michael Bublé personal appearance, and mm. thankfully I wasn't there for it, I don't know if any of you were, it wasn't really Michael Bublé at all, was it? No, it was you dressed as Michael Bublé. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but if you examine the sort of promotional literature, Bublé was, was, was spelt B-O-O-B. I mean, it was, a clearly, it was clearly implied that it was a tribute act and... Uh, that people would come and, and see my, you know, I'm a professional musician, so... You and know. you also advertised a personal appearance by Rod Stewart. Uh-huh. And in reality, that was just you again, still dressed as Michael Bublé. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do live in the Cotswolds, and I hadn't... I mean, my Rod hadn't made it. I'd forgotten to put it in the car. And, I mean, what, yeah. what, what this all points at for me mm. is a kind of lack of respect for the farming community, really. And another thing, I mean, in all of the years of the London Agricultural Festival running... You're mm. the first person to choose a venue in the heart of central London. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I've got some quotes here from some farmers just I've collected over the, over the weekend. Um, I had to take my four-ton bull on the Jubilee line. Mm. Uh, I had to pay the congestion charge for my cows. Yeah. Uh, I never liked hype. I always preferred Oasis. Uh, I was on the Jubilee line when 80 sheep were herded onto the train. It obviously wasn't as bad as when a school trip gets on, but it was up there. Yeah. Well, it's the double doors on the Jubilee line that we had a few sort of snagged in that sort of no-man's land. And, um... Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to reintroduce ideas here, you know. I mean, I've got this... There's a lot of themes around, you know, my curation of this festival, and part of that is, you know, getting the public to em- embrace agriculture and, you know, mixed views and whatever. But also, you know, there's a there's a there is a growing movement um, that I'm I'm spearheading. I think um, that you know, the rural community and the urban community should swap. <laughs> I've been living out in the countryside for a while now, and like my complexion is is a lot better, 
Uh, my IBS has really cleared up. Um, you know, I feel happier, healthier. People are better off in the country, right? Okay, and animals, they couldn't give two shits where they are. Okay? So even if it's just for a trial period, like empty the cities, get everyone out living in the countryside, you know, and put, you know, goats in terraced housing or whatever, yeah? I've got another quote here from a, a farmer. He said, It was as if he had no understanding of how a farmer's life works at all. I arrived with 25 goats, only to find that my venue was on the third floor. His advice was, and I quote, to get in the lift, you pricks. <laughs> and he definitely said pricks rather than prick, and I was the only human there, so he was definitely calling at least some of the goats pricks. <laughs> okay. Yeah, stand by that. I mean, in what way can a goat be a prick? <laughs> I mean, what goat is not a prick? <laughs> and it's not their fault that they're pricks. I mean, if you... I mean, if you'd spent most of your life, right, st standing with ease vertically on a sheer surface <laughs> without holding on, right, you're going to be a prick, aren't you? Arrogant, right? OK, final question. Mm. You don't really have a farm, do you? I, I, had a, I had a farm. I had a, a farm. Um, I mean, what is a farm, okay? That's another... That's something else I want to kind of reintroduce, okay, into the, you know, what is... If you've got, a, if you've got a, like, a back garden that's mostly paved and you manage to, you know, put a couple of heifers in it and a goat and a, you know, a bit of a chicken, not all of it, because it got caught on the fucking wheels when you're back out of the... <laughs> right? Technically, right, multi-animal, that is a farm, okay? So I am a farmer. I had a farm. It has been taken away from me legally. I can't own a farm for 10 years minimum, but at this point, yeah, I'm... Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Crayfish! Thank you. Enjoy the festival. More from the London Agriculture Festival after this. Hi, everybody. I'm Justin McElroy. I'm Travis McElroy. I'm Griffin McElroy. And we host the first podcast ever made, My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Every Monday, we put out the first ever advice comedy podcast ever. They found our podcast on Dead Sea Scrolls. We're the Hammurabi Code of podcasts, and we're ready to entertain you with jokes that we invented the first jokes. So join us every Monday on MaximumFun.org. You'll never crack our code, Dan Brown. Just try me. It's history in the making. And in the fake. And it's all yours for the taking. Next, uh, to news of entertainment, double act, and friends of the show, Cheese and Onion. <laughs> Best known for their annual Christmas specials and their catchphrase, you've got no evidence. Cheese and Onion were TV staples, and are probably best known amongst network members as being the regular entertainment at every year's British Beef Council annual dinner and barn dance. However, half the double act, Sid Onion, has now been in prison in Turkey for two years and is yet to face trial. Talent obviously runs in the family, as the popular singer-songwriter Glenn Onion is Sid's nephew and has written a protest song that he hopes will raise awareness and money for the cause. I'm very happy to say that Glenn is here to perform it with us today. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Glenn Onion! I'm not gonna mince my words, set the onion free. 
his only crime is passion for delicious British beef and dairy. He's in a pickle, there's so much at stake. So warden, let me say, there's a pint of semi-skimmed for you if you look the other way. So jailer, 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 won't you leave the door ajar? Laughter used to echo around the British Beef Council dinner and barn dance. But now this onion just brings us tears. Surely he's got a chance. He's a man of many layers. And he's probably not to blame for all the crimes his lawyers would prefer me not to name. So jailer, 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 won't you leave the door ajar? Hello, Les G's here. Legend of traditional, old-fashioned, honest, wholesome, and sometimes blue entertainment. Most well known for my part in popular double act, Cheese and Onion. In recent years, the actors come in for quite a bit of stick from so-called modern comedians with their political correctness and inability to tap dance. <laughs> what they failed to appreciate is that what me and Sid did with Cheese and Onion was actually very clever and operated on a number of levels. It's like Pixar. There's something for the adults and there's something for the kiddies too. So the adults can enjoy the searing sexual innuendo while the kiddies simply enjoy a charming song about the farmer washing a sausage in a stream. <laughs> As you may know, Sid, my double act partner, has now been in prison in Turkey for two years. In order to get Sid out, I've started a Kickstarter. Have you heard about these? It's brilliant. Basically, you have any old idea and then you, people give you money and then in return you promise them rewards which are basically like any old shit which they'll never end up receiving anyway. So please, donate today. All donations over £5 will receive a signed photo of me meeting Princess Margaret. <laughs> donate over £10 and I'll throw in a DVD of my ill-fated collaboration with the English National Opera. This money will be used to bribe Turkish officials and prison guards. And any money that we don't get round to using will go towards funding my crippling vet's bills. And anything after that will go to the Biafran National Front. Please give today. And Jailer, please leave the door ajar. So Jailer, 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 won't you leave? The door and Sing it! Everyone! Won't you leave the door ajar? Once more! Won't you leave the door ajar? Force it onion, please. Glen Onion, ladies and gentlemen, please give generously.
Our next guest has had a life-changing year. In January, she started her campaign and lobbying group, Butchers for Brexit. And in June, not only did Britain vote to leave the European Union, she also picked up an MBE. Please welcome Jenny Boulder, MBE. Hello. So, Jenny, uh, start by telling us a bit about yourself. When did you become a butcher? Oh, it's difficult to say because, you know, do you mean amateur or professional? Because I've always cut up meat. <laughs> it's, a, it's an industry that's dominated uh, by men. Was that something you were mindful of when you, when you started out as a butcher? That's interesting that you asked this question because I doubt you're asking that of the male butchers, but nonetheless... <laughs> I mean, sorry, I should, I should say butcheress. Yeah, I do, I do prefer to be called butcheress, butcherien, butcheriette, uh, baby butcher, uh, not quite as good as the men butcher. But yeah, we did, I used to get shouted down a lot. I remember when I first, uh, first got into butchery and I tried to sort of bring out slightly more progressive cuts of meat, you know, the skirt steak, <laughs> lipstick chops. <laughs> high-heeled fish <laughs> but also you'd just get a lot of prejudice you know you'd get every day oh why do you want to have beef in your shop beef's a men's meat you know why don't you use the girly meats but i just get on with it what, what was it that moved you to set up the group butchers for brexit which by the way has had a huge impact i think since you started it up in the earlier this year thank you uh one word halal <laughs> halal what does it mean we don't know and there's no way to find out that's the worst part there is no way to find out all I know is halal is the biggest threat to butchery to Britain until we ban all halal we won't have our sovereignty right <laughs> so you, you think that by leaving the EU somehow that will have an impact on the way that halal meat is sold in the UK? Absolutely. <laughs> it has to. It makes perfect sense. So you think that, that halal is something that the European Union starts... Well, it's imposing on us. Yeah. Look at it. Even, I mean, I'm sorry to say this, but you look on a tin of baked beans and even that's halal. <laughs> I don't... don't think it is, but... <laughs> I mean, I guess it's just a way of killing the bean, isn't it? It's a different way of killing the bean. <laughs> um, when, you were sort of, when you were sort of casting around trying to get other butchers to join, mm. did you come across many who uh, were going to vote for Remain? Is that, I mean, yeah. generally, you, what yeah. you did? Scum. Scum of the earth. Traitors. <laughs> uh, yeah, traitors, you know, say things like, oh, it'll be catastrophic for my business. Or like, our regulatory system will suffer and so quality will go down. And I'm like, what I am fighting for is a little Union Jacks on a toothpick that you can put into your displays. <laughs> I'm fighting for better quality of plastic Union Jack bunting in all of our butcher's shops. <laughs> You've got to look at the whole picture. I've got some of your campaign literature here, and I was, I was reading it earlier. It's quite interesting. Uh, I was just wondering whether you could substantiate some of the claims made on this particular leaflet. Oh, I'm so happy to. Uh, so the first one we've got, uh, the EU wants to ban beef. Yep, that's true. <laughs> Does it outright ban? 
Well, here's the thing. I'm a very empathetic person. And what I can pick up on is unvoiced desires. <laughs> so what I'm saying is the EU wants it. That is what they want deep down. You cannot tell me that is not what they want because you do not know how to read people the way that I know how to read people. So they haven't actually said it? No, no. but you can see it. <laughs> uh, of course, there's some other claims here. Uh, when a baby is born in Greece, uh, it's immediately given a strip of lamb to suck on. <laughs> it's disgusting, isn't it? Yeah, that is. I mean, if, you if, true, that. if true, that is disgusting, yeah. <laughs> but you can see, if you look at that, you can see why they've got all the money problems they have, why they elected that guy on a motorbike. It starts from that first land. Uh, the EU is a conspiracy by the New Zealand government to create a marketplace for lamb. <laughs> thing is you're asking me to back all this stuff up that I said but what you don't understand is you don't have to back it up you just have to say it right okay uh, we've got another one John Claude Juncker once ate a horse hooves and all well <laughs> this is what I say to the people listening at home I don't even know who John Claude Juncker is so I do not even have a stake in this game no pun intended <laughs> what I would say is that one was never a promise right now, obviously, we have voted, all of us, uh, to leave the European mm. Union. I voted to leave. We all voted to leave, of course. <laughs> uh, talk me through how, you, how it felt on the day. Talk me through the day. What was it like? Oh, well, I just remember the day so clearly because I woke up, my phone was going, and it was my sister, and she was just saying to me, we did it, we did it, you know. And first, I thought she was talking about eBay because we actually do a lot of stuff on eBay. <laughs> So I was like, oh, cool. So then we sold that chest of drawers then. And finally she said to me, we did it. We left. And oh, oh, my heart. First thing I did, went downstairs and I went to my butcher shop, which is, it's in an annex on my house. It used to be a dentist surgery. And I just went round it and I was just looking at it and I just had tears in my eyes. I thought, this is all mine again, you know? It's all mine again. And this is going to sound weird, but what I did was I got all my knives out and at first I was just looking at my reflection, you know, and I was thinking about Winston Churchill. And then I just kissed each one. And I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then I went upstairs and it was just like a normal day, so I listened to Enoch Powell, Rivers of Blood speech. <laughs> and uh, I just prepared myself a plate of tripe and I just had that. To be honest, after all the excitement, it was good to just know you know, we've taken our country back uh, to the past. Uh, now, how do you think the world of butchery is going to change now that we have, we've gone ahead, we've, we will be leaving the EU soon, and how do you think that will change your life and our lives? Well, first thing I want to say is, uh, you know, all the people that didn't believe in us, um, poultry for remain, fuck you. <laughs> uh, chickens by name, chickens by nature. Uh, secondly, what I'm going to say is everything is going to change. You can sell the whole animal. You can sell an animal to another animal now. Europe can't stop you now. <laughs> but the main thing for me is it wasn't really about butchery. It was about immigration. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, the final question. Uh, now we've voted for Brexit, is, is Butchers for Brexit 
Going to disband or... No, no, definitely not. We're going to start up a kind of paramilitary organisation where we do knife training for uh, young uh, people who have a lot of anger. <laughs> right, uh, well, thank you. Uh, Jenny Boulder! Thank you, thank you so much. So that's all we've got time for uh, from the London Agriculture Festival. London, London, London. Swansea, sorry, London. So until next time, beef out! Thank you to Josie Long, Mike Wozniak, Tom Crowley, Martin Ostwick, everyone who organised the London Podcast Festival, all of you who came to the live show at London Podcast Festival, thank you so much for coming, and to Catherine who helped on the night. Listen up, Midwestern Max Funsters. Do not miss out on the inaugural Chicago Podcast Festival, November 17th through 19th. Catch the hilarious ladies of Lady to Lady and the witty and incisive Ineke and James from Minority Corner. Plus, Bullseye with Jesse Thorne will feature interviews with some pretty heavy hitters like Andre Royo and Dwayne Kennedy. Don't snooze, don't lose. Tickets are available right now. Visit MaximumFun.org and buy them. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.